good morning. Uh, I try to hide the fact that I ran fast in one race in my life, but it seems that it's gotten out to everybody here at Westside. So that's fun. I love that. I love the attention. Um, today, we're going to be talking about assurance of salvation. That is the, the title of our message today. Uh, if you've been with us uh, the past few weeks, we've been talking through First John. Uh, we're in a series called No Greater Love, uh, and we're going to be wrapping up this week and next week. So, we're going to be talking about assurance of salvation. If you want to turn in your Bible to follow along, we're going to jump off at 1 John chapter 5, uh, but really we're going to be all over the book, so be prepared a little bit uh, and just listen if you want to just listen. But before we get into that, I want to talk about this guy. Uh, I don't know if anybody here recognizes who this guy is. I wouldn't have before yesterday, uh, but you probably know uh, who this guy is. Uh, and if you don't know from the picture, you'll probably know from these quotes that are going to come up on the screen. Oh, I have the clicker. I was waiting for somebody else to, I'm in charge. You probably can't read that. That's probably too small, but I'll read it for you. Uh, he said, when anyone asks how I can best describe my experience in nearly 40 years at sea, I merely say uneventful. Of course, there have been winter gales and storms and fog the like, but in all my experience, I have never been in any accident of any sort worth speaking about. I never saw a wreck and never have been wrecked, nor was I ever in any predicament that threatened to end in disaster of any sort. You see, I am not very good material for a story. So that's that's quote number one. And quote number two from this guy is, I cannot imagine any condition which would cause a ship to founder. I cannot conceive of any vital disaster happening to this vessel. Modern shipbuilding has gone beyond that. All right. Any any guesses who this might be? If you don't know his name, do you have a guess? This is the captain of the Titanic. Yes, his name is Edward Smith. All right. This is a man uh, who is confident that ships are not sinkable, at least not modern ships. They will not go down. Uh, and I'm guessing that you all know how that worked out for him. Uh, and we're talking about confidence today. Uh, and he was confident. He was so confident, in fact, that when reports of icebergs uh, around where they were traveling uh, were coming in from other ships, he ignored them. Uh, he said, we don't need to slow down. We don't need to avoid them. Our schedule is more important. We're going to go full steam ahead uh, and get across the Atlantic. Uh, and he wasn't alone in this. Uh, the director of the cruise line that the Titanic was a part of, his name was Bruce Ismay. Uh, he, some engineers and some people were expressing concerns about the Titanic to him. Uh, and he was so confident uh, that... The ship was unsinkable that when they said, hey, you should really have 60, I think 62 to be exact lifeboats on board for everybody on this ship. He said, we're not going to have 62 lifeboats on board on this ship. In fact, we're going to have 20 lifeboats on board on this ship. I don't want them cluttering up my decks and I don't want them putting fear into my passengers. Uh, that was his response uh, and their confidence uh, ended with the loss of 1,500 people's lives. Uh, and so, today, we're going to be talking about confidence, uh, but confidence that is well not well-placed and not well-founded 
is not good. Uh, it can lead to incredible damage for us. Uh, it can lead to wasting our time and wasting our resources. Uh, it can lead to broken relationships. Uh, it can lead to us denying what is actually true. Uh, it can lead to loss of life. Uh, and this is an extreme example, but I'm guessing that everybody in this room, if you reflect on your life, you can think of a time uh, when you placed your confidence into something that didn't warrant your confidence. Uh, I was trying to think of something because I don't make mistakes like this. Uh, and last night, I was reminded that in college uh, and a little bit for a few years after college, uh, I went through a phase uh, where I was confident that I was going to be a bachelor to the rapture. I was confident that I would never get married. Uh, I was so confident, in fact, that I would never get married, that when people challenged that, I, I was working in churches at the time, and so marriage is a big deal. Everybody should get married according to them. Uh, and so when people would challenge that, uh, I would say, I take all bets all right, I take all bets that I won't get married. And so the, the deadline was 35. Uh, if I didn't get married by 35, I win. If I do, they win. Uh, I took $2,200 worth of bets. $2,200 worth of bets. Do you know who reminded me of that? My wife reminded me of that. All right, so I can definitely put my confidence uh, and things, even in myself, even in where I think I'll be in 10 years wrongly. Uh, and I did. But $2,200, small price to pay to be with Sarah and to have Adelaide in my family. They're the best. I love them very much. Um, so, poorly placed confidence uh, is a bad thing. Um, but today we're going to talk about confidence that is not poorly placed and how we can be confident as Christians. Uh, when I was little, when I was about probably five, my mom started taking us to Awana. What's my next one? Oh, yeah, real quick. I'll have this up so you don't have to keep looking at Ed Smith. Uh, but this uh, is a commentary, the letters of John. Uh, it's right here. And so it's kind of academic, but if you want to dig into John a bit, this, I relied heavily on this as I prepared. I recommend it. You can borrow mine if you want to. Uh, but yeah, when I was five, my mom started taking us to Awana at Wood Village Baptist Church. Uh, and that's the first place that I remember being presented with the gospel. Uh, and the, the verse that sort of accompanied the gospel, they shared about Jesus and they, uh, invited us to respond to Jesus. And the verse that accompanied, accompanied that uh, was Romans 10, 9, which says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Uh, and that's what I was told. Uh, and I absolutely believe that is true. Don't don't think for a second that I am denying that that is true. Uh, but my view of what that meant was incredibly shallow. Uh, so I heard that I heard about Jesus. He sounded like a good guy. I heard about hell. That sounded scary. So I prayed the prayer one night in bed uh, that Jesus would come into my heart. And I felt good. I wiped my hands. I was all good. Um, I prayed it a couple more times just in case the first time didn't stick. Uh, I said out loud and said quietly that Jesus is Lord just to make sure I was all good. And that, that gave me confidence for years. Uh, I was good with that for years and pretty much up until high school. And in high school, I started reading my Bible uh, and reading it a little bit more carefully. And I came across other verses 
in the Bible. Uh, verses from a guy named Jesus, uh, like this one in Matthew chapter 7, where he says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Uh, my confidence was based on calling Jesus Lord. Uh, and here I had a story of people calling Jesus Lord to his face. Uh, and not only that, but performing miracles in his name. And Jesus' response to them is, I don't know you. Get away from me. Uh, and that shook me. Uh, that shook my foundational confidence. Uh, I've struggled with confidence for a long time, for most of my adult Christian life. Uh, and my struggle is not with confidence of, is God good? Is God real? Uh, did Jesus die and raise again? And all those doctrinal truths, that's, that's not where I've struggled. I've struggled with, am I actually in? Am I actually good with God? I, I trust that God is good but has, is my salvation real, right? Am I one of these guys who thinks I'm in, but is actually out, and when I approach God, I'm going to get rejected? And that's scary to me. That has been scary to me. And it doesn't stop there. Uh, I read the book of James, uh, and you have James talking about dead faith, a faith that doesn't save. Uh, and he says that even the demons acknowledge that God is one. Uh, and we see that in the, the Gospels also. I don't know if you know this, but in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 8, uh, he comes across two Gospels, and they call him the Son of God. Demons acknowledge that God, Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, and again, in Mark 1, we have a demon come up to Jesus and acknowledge that he is the Holy One from God. All right? So demons are acknowledging God. So is my faith... Uh, just as valid as a demon's. I hope not. Uh, but it was scary. It terrified me. Uh, and those doubts have stuck with me for a long time, and they can still crop up if I'm being honest. Um, but I'm here to tell you today uh, that you don't need to have that uncertainty if you're a Christian. You don't need to live with that fear. Uh, and that is the main thrust, the main motivator of this entire book that we've been reading through, the entire book of First John. So we've been alluding to the things uh, that give us the confidence, a real well-founded confidence that we will spend eternity with Jesus. So uh, John gives us three tests, three things uh, to look for in our lives to know that our salvation, that our faith is legitimate. Uh, and before we get into those tests, I want to make two points, uh, two emphases. The first one is that these tests and quote unquote passing these tests, do I need to adjust? Does not earn you salvation. All right. There's nothing you can do to earn your own salvation. The Bible is clear and consistent on this. All right. Our salvation comes only through grace by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. All right, these tests, rather, uh, come as a result 
of our salvation. Uh, these are signs that will be true if you have received salvations. They're not things uh, to be achieved in order to earn salvation. Is that clear? I just want to make sure we're all on the same page on that. And the second one, um, oh, we should read John 5 real quick. This is John 5, verse 13. Uh, He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Uh, So he's writing these things to those who believe. Uh, That's his audience and that's my primary audience today. All right. Those who believe so that you may know you have eternal life. Uh, But with that, I want to make a point that if you don't acknowledge yourself as one who believes or If you listen to this list, and maybe you are in that camp that Jesus is describing, who say that they believe in Jesus but don't show these signs, uh, I just want to invite you uh, to get to know Jesus, uh, to fall in love with Jesus, uh, to submit your life to Jesus, uh, and that it's so much better than any alternative that exists. Uh, And it's not just better for eternity uh, and for heaven over hell, but it's better for right here and for right now. Uh, and so if you find yourself feeling those things, I invite you to talk to me or an elder or any other number of people here, and we'd love to talk with you about our King Jesus. Uh, but with that, uh, we are going to talk about these three signs. And the three signs, they're pretty simple, are belief, obedience, and love. All right, first sign, being belief. This is the foundation of these these three signs or these three tests uh, to John. It is not okay uh, as Christians to believe whatever we want to believe. There are certain things uh, that you have to hold to if you are going to say that you're a Christian and have that be true. Uh, I was doing some research uh, for this sermon, and I looked up how many unique denominations there are in the world. Uh, and there's the, the study of Christ, I want to make sure I get this name right. The Center for the Study of Global Christianity at Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary. Uh, they did a study to find out how many denominations there are in the world. Does anybody have a guess? How many denominations? Huh? 8,000? 3,000? 45,000 denominations in the world. All right, there are 45,000 different variations on what it means to be a Christian. 45,000 different variations on theological systems and beliefs. And lots of them are very, very similar. Lots of these church splits happen over very, very small details. Uh, But some of them are wildly, wildly different. All right, and so the question becomes, how far is too far? What is so important that if you get rid of that thing, you are no longer a Christian? Uh, and my list, if I was to make it, could be pretty long, but John's list is incredibly short. Very, very, very short. Uh, in fact, it's one item long. Uh, does anybody know what that item is? Jesus. The answer is Jesus. This is church, in fact. All right. The answer is Jesus. Jesus is the key to your theological belief. And having an accurate view of Jesus is the key. So let's look at these two passages real quick. 
starting chapter 2, verse 18. Uh, he says, Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, even eternal life. All right, so... You have to believe that Jesus is the Christ. All right. And then our second passage, chapter four, verses one through three, he says, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. Uh, and that's a bold, bold statement. Uh, that is a, a confidence that I don't have, really. Uh, John is an apostle, so I think that confidence is well-founded. But to say that anybody who acknowledges that Jesus is the Christ come in the flesh uh, is from God is bold. Uh, my list, like I said before, would be longer than that for testing if somebody's legitimate. But that seems to be sufficient for John. All right, And I think it should be sufficient as we reflect on our own lives. But I think we do need to unpack it a little bit because uh, I don't know that we would all know what it means that Jesus is the Christ come in the flesh and the importance of that. So as we talk about that, what John is mainly getting at uh, are these foundational Christological truths, truths about Jesus. Uh, and the main ones that he's concerned with are that God, the Christ, uh, the Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity, who ex- existed for all eternity, uh, became man at Jesus' birth. Uh, and Jesus, fully God and fully man, lived a human, physical, real, historical life here on earth. Uh, from his birth, he was baptized, uh, did his ministry, uh, died, was raised again uh, to take away the sins of the entire world, uh, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. All right, those are the foundational Christian truths about who Jesus is. There are more details uh, that's not robust and nuanced. To get a full picture of who Jesus is, we would need to look at the whole Bible, and I don't have time for that today. Um, but that, that is the key. So that's our, our first test, first test done. If you believe those things about Jesus, you're doing all right so far. But like we said, uh, a verbal assent and knowing who Jesus is is not enough to know for sure that we are good. And so our second test from John is obedience. Uh, and this uh, gets a little tricky, maybe. Like I said before, John speaks 
boldly, more boldly than I feel comfortable speaking. Uh, but I'm going to read what he says because uh, it'd be bad if I didn't. So let's start in chapter two and go through verses three through six real quick. He says, we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. All right. And then again, in 2, verses 28 and 3 through I mean, three through three ten uh, says, and now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. How great is the love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has the hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. But who do, he who does not what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. And at this point, uh, you may have gotten some confidence from test number one. Like, yeah, I can say that I believe those things about Jesus. But your confidence may be waffling a little bit from test number two. And that's why I wanted to quote John, because if I said that, I think, Lots of people would be like, you can't say that. You cannot say that anybody who sins is not a child of God uh, and is a child of the devil. But that's what John says. Uh, and that's tough. Uh, but it's right there. You can read it for yourself. Uh, but thankfully, before he said those things, he said what he wrote in chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. So we have this, this conflict, this tension in the text that if you sin, you are not of God. Strange, uh, but at the same time, if you sin, uh, Jesus has atoned for that. Jesus has made a covering for that. He has made a way for you to get right with God. So how can we not be of God and not and sin, but also be forgiven by God when we do sin? Uh, and I think that it will be helpful to illustrate this uh, if we take a look at this man. Helpful? Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah, that was my little joke. Uh, this is this is Robert. Thank you. Thank you. This is Robert Rosenthal. I doubt anybody knows who this is. Does anybody know who this is? 
awesome. All right, this is Robert Rosenthal. Robert Rosenthal uh, is an American psychologist. Uh, and in the 60s, he did an experiment. He went to an elementary school in California, and he had administered an IQ test to all the students in the elementary school. And what he found, well, and then he, he reported the results of that IQ test to their teachers. And he said, these students here are the students that you can expect to succeed in school. Uh, And these students here are the students that are going to be tougher. They're probably not going to do well. Their grades are going to suffer. And he told their teachers this. Uh, And especially for the younger kids, they went back in a year. uh, And those results bore out. All right. The kids that he said would excel, excelled. And the kids that he said would struggle, struggled. Uh, and that might make sense. That might seem obvious. But the, the catch to this whole test was that he chose it at random. All right. The IQ test was a sham. Uh, he just said, these 20% of students I'm going to say are the good kids. Uh, these other students I'm going to say are the bad kids. And I'm going to tell the teachers that and see what happens. And because the teachers uh, believed that those were the good kids, uh, they ended up doing better at school. Uh, and because... Probably that got into the kids' heads as well, and I know this is true of us, that how we view ourselves is incredibly important. And I think that's what John is getting at here with his disciples, with the people who are following him as he follows Jesus. Uh, that when you view yourself, uh, you should view yourself how Jesus views you, all right? That you have a new nature. In the past, you were a sinner, uh, and when you sinned, that was normal. That was just the standard. That's what should be expected of you. Uh, Thinking of my own school days, I was a good student. Uh, I got good grades, and my grades mattered to me. My parents expected a lot from me. My teachers expected a lot from me. But I remember distinctly uh, one time in middle school, I got a D on a test. Uh, I got a D on a test, and it tore me up. Uh, I was scared. I was sad. That wasn't me. I was an A student. I don't get D's. I cried on the bus ride home. Uh, I was afraid to go to talk to my dad about it, which I didn't need to be. My dad is fantastic. Uh, but it, it tore me up because uh, that's not who I was. Um, but I had friends who would get F's on tests. I had friends who would get F's on their final grades. They couldn't care less. It didn't matter to them. All right. They were fine being an F student. That was totally fine. And that's what John is getting at with our spiritual lives. We are not sinners uh, at this point. We have been made right with Christ. Uh, and now when we sin, that is unnatural. Uh, that is not normal. Uh, so the, the point is you will fail. You will fail in this, all right? It's the A student getting a D on his test, all right? It's not the F student just getting F. So when you fail, there's a way back for you. And when you fail, when you sin, uh, it should feel unnatural. You should feel angst about it. Uh, you should not feel okay with that. Uh, and it should draw you back to repentance with God. Uh, and that may not be immediate. That may take a lot of time and a lot of effort to, to put away those sins. Uh, but that is what will happen. Uh, and on the flip side, to be a bit of a downer, maybe, maybe not. I just want to be honest. Uh, if you can sin and not think twice about it, you maybe need to check your confidence in Christ. Just being honest. If you can lie to your boss or whoever and not feel bad at all, uh, if you can have an affair 
and not feel remorseful, uh, if you can be unapologetically proud, uh, maybe check yourself. Uh, I think that's what he's getting at. Maybe you need to check yourself. Uh, but if you don't, if you live righteously and when you fall off the path, you do repent uh, and feel that angst, you're okay. You've passed test number two, all right? It's not that you need to be perfect, uh, but it is no longer natural or normal for us to sin. We will do it, but it's not the norm. Cool? We're good? Nobody's throwing stones yet? I'm glad, I'm glad. Uh, and then our last test is the test of love. Um, and this is, man, the good old Christian one. Uh, love is great. Uh, I got way behind on my notes. So I'm going to catch up real quick. All right. So talking about love. All right. So let's start just by reading these verses. Chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Uh, John says, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. And then we have 3, 11 through 18, where he says, This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know that what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Uh, and again, uh, I think we would all agree with this, but this gets difficult sometimes. Um, love, it's a great thing. Uh, and this love in particular is between us. Uh, when he talks about brothers and sisters, it's not talking about your immediate family, your biological family. It's talking about the church. Uh, this is the way that we ought to love the church. And I know, for myself at least, and I'm guessing I'm not alone in this, uh, it's much easier for me to get on board with laying down my life for the church. Uh, for some reason, in my head, uh, if I had to die to save somebody else or to protect somebody else. Like, I can get behind that. And I think the reason that that so feels better to me uh, is that it's unlikely to happen in our context, right? But just being honest, like, I think there's other parts of the world where it'd be harder to think that. Um, and two, I get to be the hero in that story, right? Like, I get to feel good about myself. People are going to talk about how awesome I was. Like, yeah, Nathan died. There'll be plaques. It'll be great. It'd be, it'd be awesome. But that's not what's going to happen for most of us. That's not the practical love that's going to be true for most of us in this context. The second part is the practical truth that's going to be the case for most of us. Uh, that when you see somebody uh, who doesn't have clothes, you give them yours. Uh, John the Baptist said, if you have two shirts, give your second one to the poor. Uh, if you have food, share it with the hungry. 
Easy as that. And that's much harder. I don't know why, but in my head, it's easier for me to die for somebody than for me to give them my coat. It just is, right? Like, I would, I'm, I want my stuff. I'm going to hold on to my stuff. And that's not what Jesus, I mean, yeah, that's not what Jesus has called us to. Uh, Jesus has called us to practical, actual, intimate love. Dick brought it up a couple few weeks ago uh, that the easiest way to not hate people would be to just stay in your home, but that's not what we're called to, right? We need to know one another. Uh, we need to be with one another. Uh, we need to love and forgive and be patient and kind and gentle and sacrifice ourselves for others the way that Jesus sacrificed himself for us. Uh, and so a couple examples of this. We have some friends, uh, Sarah and I, uh, who came uh, into contact, I think through work, with a, a lady who was having some issues uh, with, I think, her boyfriend. Uh, and they have two two twins, uh, and the, the girl really needed a place to stay. So what what is the loving response to that? You invite them to stay with you. And they invited this family to stay with them. And not only that, uh, but it's, uh, this family... Uh, currently is staying in their room while they sleep in a tent outside. It was 28 degrees outside last night, outside uh, with their four-year-old, right? Yeah, that's sacrificial love, all right? That, that's crazy, okay? And that, that might sound extreme, but those situations happen more often than I think we give credit to. Uh, another small example. Uh, a week and a half ago, we went over to the sergeant's house. Did I click it? Uh, for dinner. Uh, and not going to lie, we were a little stressed about it. And we weren't stressed because of the sergeants. We love the sergeants. They're great. Uh, but we were stressed because we have a 19-month-old. All right, And she had had a long day. She goes to work with Sarah. Uh, it's a long commute back. It's close to her bedtime. Uh, and what if she starts melting and falling apart while we're at dinner with these people that we know but we're still getting to know? Uh, and then Sarah has to leave early. Will they think we're rude? Like all these stressors that just happen. Uh, and when we got there, uh, Cody Sargent uh, spent the entire time just taking care of my daughter. I don't know why I'm tearing up. That's stupid. Um, <laughs> but he did. He spent the whole time caring for her. And some of it was fun, uh, and some of it was probably really boring. He would bring her toys. Uh, he would make sure that she didn't fall off the rocking chair just standing there behind her. Uh, and when he found out uh, that she loved cats, she loved their cat, uh, he ran to his room, grabbed a little cat-stuffed animal, and gave it to her as we left. Um, yeah, I don't know why. This is silly. But anyways, that's love. Right? That's love. Um, and it doesn't have to be this grandiose thing. It doesn't mean that you die. Maybe it does. Uh, maybe it is grandiose. But it's these small things where you actually care more about other people than you do about yourself. And so for this test, uh, it's not that you love everybody in the world. Um, we can pray for the whole church, but it's that you actually practically love the people that God has put into your life, uh, the people that are here with us today. Um, and to pass this, pass this test, you should be able to point at times in your life where you have done these things. Uh, to be confident in God, uh, and that might feel weird, it might feel like a lack of humility, but, but you should be able to mark these moments of, yes, I did love like Jesus loved. Uh, and so those are our three tests. All right, That's it. 
That's all you need to know to know that you're in good grounds with God, according to John. All right. It's not this list of deep orthodoxy. Uh, I wanted to make a, a side note. I think that theology is important. I think that having good, accurate biblical theology is important. Uh, but as far as this is concerned, these are the things. The things are that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he's fully God, fully human, uh, that he actually lived and died and was raised again for our sake, uh, that you are obedient, that you walk in righteousness as Jesus walked. And when we fail in that walk, we repent and turn to God and we're not okay with it. Uh, and that we love. We have an intimate, active, self-sacrificial love towards our fellow Christians, towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's it. And so I hope, my hope is that I didn't make anybody question the legitimacy of their salvation, unless you need to, maybe, um, but that you're encouraged by this, that you can look at these things and say, yes, I do believe that. Uh, yes, I, I do try to obey God and I fail sometimes, but I, I do try. And yes, I do love the people around me and I could probably do it better. I could probably do it more, but I'm doing it and I'm going to keep doing it. All right. And you're good. And that's it. So I hope this is an encouragement. Uh, and like I said at the beginning, uh, if you don't believe this stuff, I invite you to talk with us. Uh, or if you've come through this and say, oh, I am disobedient and I don't seem to care about it. Talk to us also. Right. It's better to, to face that and work through it than to pretend you're a Christian for your whole life. Uh, so I invite you to do that. And that's all I have. It's 1141. That's the time I was supposed to be done. All right, let me pray for us, uh, and then I think the worship team's going to come back up, uh, and we'll call it a day. Uh, God, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you so much for your word. Uh, I thank you so much for the church. Um, and yeah, I just thank you that you give us confidence, um, and not cheap confidence, uh, but a real deep confidence that we get to spend eternity with you. Uh, I pray that these things would be true of us, uh, that we would know who Jesus is, that we would know who you are, uh, and that we would continue pursuing to know you better and deeper and more. I pray that we would be a community that is defined by love, uh, that when people on the outside see us, they are taken aback by our love for one another and our love for them, the way that Jesus loved those that hated him. Um, and I pray that we would walk in righteousness. Uh, I, I pray that we would, as brothers and sisters, uh, call one another to love and good deeds, uh, that we would keep one another accountable uh, in love, and that we would continue to draw closer to you. We long for the day when we're made fully like you in eternity, uh, but help us as we, we struggle through life right now. Uh, thank you for everything. Thank you for our, your son. It's in Jesus' name I pray this. Amen.